Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Good to have a conversation with you here again today as we talk about what is impacting rural America and issues that are impacting farmers and ranchers. Great to have you along for the ride. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk weather with DTN meteorologist John Baranek. He is going to join us to provide his thoughts on where things stand in North America as we wrap up January, but also what's going on in South America. So we'll talk to John coming up here in segment two today. In segment three, it's hard to really put this in perspective, but spring is right around the corner. Uh, Spring planting is not too far away as we wrap up the month of January and look ahead to February. We're going to talk fertilizer with Josh Linville, VP of Fertilizer at StoneX. He'll join us for a conversation. That's coming up here in segment three today. And then we'll take a look at some of the various ag news headlines from around the world and here at home in segment four on AOA today. Let's kick things off, though, and take a look at the markets. There's been plenty of headlines over the weekend that might be impacting things. And I know there's a lot of stuff coming up here this week in the markets. Darren Newsom, senior market analyst at Bar Chart, joining us here today. Darren, hope you had a great weekend. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of outside news that could potentially be having some influence on the market here as we start off the week. Yeah, it, I mean, and there certainly could be. And, and you know, what happened over the weekend, you know, with the situation in Jordan, uh, the ongoing situation in the Red Sea and all of these things, you know, the question was, what was the ripple effect going to be on the markets? And honestly, we just didn't see much. I mean, I, we saw the headlines, oh, you know, Crude oil skyrocketing. Well, it gained like a dollar and a half. That's not really skyrocketing. Gold really hasn't moved. And in fact, the U.S. dollar index has actually firmed over the course of Monday morning. Uh, and, you know, we've got the we, you know, we've got another FOMC meeting coming up. We've got jobs data at the end of this week. So you're right. There is just there's a lot of things going on right now. Um, and it's going to be interesting. It's really going to be interesting to see how this week plays out. Very, very true. Well, I know you had an article on the bar chart website titled Grains, Why Does Wheat Bring Vodka to Mind? I had to chuckle at that a little bit, Darren, but uh, I think that's uh, a good headline to kind of pique our interest here. What's What are you watching in terms of this wheat market right now that uh, could be a, a big influence in the trade potentially? You know the thing that that jumped out at me was I think it was last Thursday we saw the we saw the Kansas City March May future spread close inverted and I've always said that you know when it, when you're talking about a storable commodity an inverted future spread is quote unquote always bullish but I also have something that says you know there there is no such thing it's called the vodka vacuity that tells us there are no absolutes in markets and so. My me saying that a storable commodity in an inverse is always bullish, it isn't. I mean, it, it is up until the point when it's not. And I'm talking about fundamentals here. The, the, the Kansas City future spread was skewed by non-commercial short covering. This group has been holding a net short for quite some time. They've been rolled, they've been getting out of their March contract. And when we saw Friday's CFTC commitment to traders report, we, you know, they, they had lifted almost 2,000 contracts 
of their net short futures position in Kansas City. Now that left them still holding about 26,000 contracts. So there's still more room for this group for funds to cover, not only in Kansas City, but in Chicago and Minneapolis as well. So, you know, another piece that I wrote for Barchard talked about the, the one thing that was bullish for, for the grain sector, and that was the net short futures position across the board, the three wheat markets, corn, soybeans, that hasn't changed. In fact, you know, as we look at the markets here early Monday morning, looks like there's more uh, fund selling and we could be seeing both corn and soybeans approaching their record large net short non-commercial positions. Something that doesn't fit with fundamentals, but certainly what we're watching right now. And to add to that, Darren, I think if I saw this correctly, I think if you combine corn, soy products, wheat, all of those together, the, the short position, it's the second largest since uh, 2019 during the trade war with the U.S. and China. Is that right? Uh, very possibly, yes. Uh, you know, and that and that trade war is still going on. I think some folks forget about that. That trade war is still going on, uh, and we're still feeling the effects. We're still being hammered by that. You know, we've talked before how the U.S. is now a secondary player in the global soybean market. Why? Because trade war. China is not going to buy any more than it absolutely has to from the United States. It's going to continue to push Brazil for larger production and for better infrastructure to get those beans to port, and then those. You know, those beans that are at port eventually wind up in China. So, I mean, yes, we're still feeling the effects. And so, you know, we don't have an overly bullish fundamental situation to get funds to cover. And so, you know, my thought was with the stock indexes going to new record highs, that that would be enough to see some of this short position for just to see investors getting out of the commodity complex in general, meaning they would cover some of their short futures position in uh, grains. That certainly hasn't happened, at least not to a large degree at this point. A lot of chatter over the weekend about the uh, the China court ruling on Evergrande, that real estate giant. Is mm -hmm. that something that you're concerned about and any effects it could have on the Chinese economy, which could in turn impact commodities potentially? It could. I mean, in, in general, we, we know China is the world's largest buyer in, in, in most commodities. And then we have to look at, OK, where where is where is demand most elastic? Is it in energies? Is it in food? Probably not going to be in food. And so when we start thinking about corn and wheat and particularly soybeans and the soybean products, I don't know that it's going to affect the demand all that much. We're also hearing that basis is collapsing in Brazil. Uh, all that tells us is that this, you know, the production is finally making it to town. You know, those beans still have somewhere to go, but China's not having to pay quite as much for them because the you know, basis is weakening, the overall cash price is weakening. So I do think it's something we need to watch, but we also have to remember China has to have the food. China has to have the food products. And so there are some commodities that are more inelastic than others. I would say demand for food products is probably about as inelastic as anything. Darren, I have to feel like uh, throughout all of our grain markets and the livestock side too, uh, just having a sharp pencil here in this time frame as we're getting to the end of the month, January, and, and looking into February and just not burying your head in the sand in terms of your marketing right now, I think. That's uh, that's kind of my overarching theme right now. Would you agree with that? I, I would. I mean, we, we have to keep an eye on these things. It's you know, really it's best to ignore most of the noise that's out there. Uh, but we have to pay attention to what's going on because we do have some things coming up. You know, we've got contra seasonal moves going on. Well, why is that? 
You know, we can look at December corn. We can look at November soybeans. You know, we can look at this contra seasonal move and say, okay, that usually tells us there is something fundamentally changed. We can look at the Nov 24, uh, excuse me, the 2024 Nov bean corn spread, and we can see, uh, uh, we can see that November soybeans are buying acres away from from uh, December corn for 2024 spring planting. So it'll be interesting to hear what Josh has to say from the fertilizer side to see if that's in agreement with what the market's telling us. So there's a lot of things we have to keep track of right now. Is it depressing seeing the markets just grinding lower? Yes, but we have to keep a bigger, we have to keep an eye on the bigger picture. You know, what is our marketing? What are the opportunities going to be when they arrive? Great thoughts with that. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, always great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us on AOA. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks for having me on again, Jesse. All right. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at weather with DTN meteorologist John Boranek. He joins us next here on AOA. Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention? On Friday, February 2nd, stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando. You won't want to miss the next Great Plains auction on January 31st. The online auction features an impressive lineup including a 2016 Case IH Steiger 420 Quadro Track Tractor, a 2014 Brandt BCX 1050 Grain Cart, Grip Track Combine Tracks, a Massey Ferguson 2605, and a 1951 Harry Ferguson. Find these items and many more when you visit GreatPlainsAuction.com for the online-only auction. That's on Wednesday, January 31st. From grain and livestock market analysis to policy updates affecting agriculture, the latest agricultural weather, ag news headlines, and much more, we have you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. Get up to the minute information with the American Ag Network on air, online, and on demand. Find us on your favorite social media platforms and follow the American Ag Today podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. 
So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of prediabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, temperatures have been fairly mild here the last few days after we had that big stretch of the polar vortex and heavy snow and ice and you name it. As we end the month of January, look ahead to the month of February. What does that forecast look like here across North America? What are we watching in South America as well? We're going to talk about all of that and more here. Joining us, DTN meteorologist John Baranek. And John, good to have you back on the show. I hope you had uh, fun, uh, good week off, and uh, coming back here, uh, John, to somewhat mild temperatures to wrap up the month, aren't we? Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, outside of that week you just were mentioning with the the polar vortex and all that crazy business we had. I mean, this winter has been very mild. It's not felt like winter at all, and here we are, right back into it. Uh, and we've got temperatures well above normal, especially the farther north you are in the country. Uh, the farther above normal you're going to be here, not just this week, but probably all of next week as well. Uh, we've just got this giant ridge that's plastered itself over the middle of North America and um, really is going to stick around. It's going to mush around a little bit, kind of waffle around a little bit. But for the most part, it's going to be anchored right over the middle of the continent and uh, kind of have the, the strong block to, to much of the flow right through the middle of the country. Um, so we, we stay rather warm. Uh, for most of us. And even where we do see uh, storms move through, and we'll talk about that in a second, um, the temperatures don't look awfully cold at all. Uh, there's just no access to the Arctic right now. So uh, it's just, you know, kind of mild coolness whenever those systems move through on the backside of them, we get a little bit cool. But overall, it's it's going to be warm here for the next couple of weeks, Jesse. It looks pretty good to me, at least. Well, uh, let's dive into this a little bit more, John, and to kind of set that up, you know, with the way the ridge is set and the jet stream, it looked like kind of pulling some of that Pacific air, Pacific moisture, et cetera here. So to your point, you know, with temperatures kind of holding warmer here, if we do see any disturbances, it seems like, I, I guess I'm not looking for much in the way of snow. Are you right now, John? Not really, unless you live out in the Western Mountains, and I doubt any of us do. Um, there's no real significant chances for snow here, um, unless we talk about maybe uh, central Montana this weekend. And that's due to a system that will be moving into the West Coast here over the next couple of days. Um, we've got this, you know, big trough or big ridge here over the middle of North America, but there's a giant trough off the West Coast, and it'll move itself into the West here. Uh, later this week, and um, uh, fortunately for us in the middle of the country, it gets blocked off to our south and uh, uh, really goes across the southern tier of the U.S., but it might have enough where we get a little bit of snow in some of those those uh, um, highland areas from Montana, maybe even down as far south as Colorado a bit. Models have been kind of waffling back and forth on snow there. But we do get this system to move across the central and southern plains here. That's Friday and Saturday, and then across the Gulf Coast for the weekend. Really just kind of goes around the Midwest. None of us really get a whole lot of it uh, mm -hmm. up, up this way. So, But it's it's good rainfall in some of these areas that still are experiencing extreme drought. I know we had a lot of 
pretty decent rainfall or excessive rainfall in some places over some of those drought areas last week. Um, and it looks like we'll get a little bit more uh, this weekend as well to help out with the drought situation. Overall, uh, pretty pretty good shot of it. And you know, for those wheat farmers out there in the southwestern plains, looks like some pretty decent uh, rainfall potential out there too, around an inch or so. You don't really see a whole lot of that at the end of January or early February. So uh, it's a pretty good uh, pretty good slug of moisture moving through. Well, and some of that moisture too. I wanted to ask you about this, John, a little update for us. If you have one, I know uh, it, we ha saw some pretty hefty rain through parts of the Delta, the Mid-South here at the end of last week, and then up into portions of Illinois. Sounds like maybe some flooding going on in parts of Illinois right now. It, it, what are you seeing there, John? Yeah, especially when we combine that, you know, when the polar vortex came through, we had that like two feet of snow that moved through Iowa, Illinois, uh, Indiana, Michigan areas, uh, those, that, that heavy snow is, is melting. Um, and you, you pour some rain on top of it and it's not good. Uh, I saw some reports of some ice jams and stuff and, you know, it's just stuff that needs to be worked through. So yeah, we've got a little bit of flooding going on overall. It's not too intense though. Cause there are, were some, you know, drier soils around. So a lot of that's just getting soaked up too. Um, mm -hmm. we do have, uh, as like, as, as, as far as like, areas around Missouri that had some heavy rain and in Iowa that got some rain on top of snow. It's not too bad, but you know, when you get to some other areas like in, in Illinois and Indiana, like you mentioned, uh, we do have some flood warnings out there. Um, and the, the river levels kind of farther South too, in the mid South, Arkansas, Mississippi, uh, down to Louisiana and the Gulf coast. Some, a lot of those areas are dealing with some, some higher than normal, but, uh, it's not overly, excessive so uh, i think uh if, if you take it as a whole if you if you can deal with a little bit of flooding at least you're getting a lot of soil moisture back into into your soils there we've had some extreme drought uh, that developed since this summer so i think overall we're still in good shape we're talking with dtn meteorologist john baranek here on aoa john as we kind of look into february here a little bit to kind of summarize what you're seeing right now in north america you know we look 14 days or so out here it feels like this weather pattern is going to remain somewhat mild and, and rather benign here as we start off the month of February. Am I summarizing that right? For the most part, I would say you're pretty right on that, Jesse. I mean, with these these next two weeks are, are looking awfully good uh, in terms of keeping that warmth around. Um, there is some indication kind of around the week of, of Valentine's Day, we might get a little bit of shift in the pattern um, where we get kind of a trough to, to move in. Uh, this doesn't look like a, the big Arctic one we would get from the polar vortex. Um, it would be just kind of some, um, you know, seasonably cool weather moving in during that week. But it lasts, uh, you know, maybe a week or so, um, mm -hmm. and then we're out of it and we're back into the warmth. So it's a very El Nino base pattern here for February. We stay fairly warm. We have that southern storm track. Um, and uh, that's going to continue here for the next two weeks. We may get a little disruption towards, you know, mid mid month, and then we return to it. So um, overall, I mean, you, you, you add it all up and, and we kind of look a little bit like December where we were super warm and we had, you know, plenty of storm systems moving through. Um, we'll, we'll see how that, that uh, mid month trough kind of shakes out. We might be able to, to, to put down a, a decent snowstorm out of that. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, that's, more than two weeks out from from right now so <laughs> way off into the future but you know it's setting it's from what i'm seeing in the upper levels it, it does set up to be a pretty decent uh storm maker so we'll, we'll have to keep our eyes on that otherwise right. it, it would be the, the southern tier of the country still seeing seeing some pretty good chances for rain 
John, let's go to South America. Brazil, it sounds like the pace of harvest and planting is still fairly near average at this point in the season for Brazil. What's some of the latest you're seeing with uh, their weather right now? Yeah, so in Brazil, I mean, they're they're gearing up their, their soybean harvest and then planting their safrina corn. It's kind of interesting um, if you look like states like Mato Grosso, which is the, the largest production state there in Brazil. They're ahead on their soybean harvest, but behind on their safrina corn planting, which is kind of, um, but it's, you know, kind of just on the edge of average of both of those. So overall, it's, uh, I think everything's going at a particularly fair pace right now. Um, they do have showers that over the weekend moved in into northern Brazil. Um, and so they're getting a couple days break before that starts to build back in throughout the rest of the of the week. Uh, where they can get some good field work in. So I, I, I'm assuming that we'll see some pretty big jumps here from some, some of those states down there and their progress. Um, and overall, not too bad conditions for most of Brazil right now. Um, you know, as long as they don't see that rain coming in too hard, um, where that would disrupt their their plans for, for harvest and planting, um, things are looking off, awfully decent there in central Brazil. So typically of what we would see this time of year. How about in Argentina? I know there's been plenty of talk of hot temperatures there and dryness. Any notes uh, on that Argentine crop right now? Yeah, they were awfully dry last week. Uh, not many areas saw a drop of rain. Um, it wasn't too hot, though, so it wasn't too bad. Um, and we did see kind of crop conditions there being reported uh, slightly lower uh, than the week prior. But this week is going to be kind of uh, a, a a bit more stressful than last week. Um, not only is it going to stay mostly dry, we may see some isolated showers in, in some parts here and there, but overall it's another dry week. But this week it's the temperatures, and it looks like a lot of areas there uh, around uh, Argentina are going to be eclipsing the 100-degree mark on several days here this week um, and even into this weekend as well. So um, they've got some really stressful conditions coming up. you know, And this is kind of – that point where a lot of their corn and soybean crops goes into pollination in the reproductive stages. So it's not a really good time period to have some hot and dry conditions. Now, of course, they've had some really good soil moisture prior to this. So it's kind of questionable how much damage may occur down there in Argentina. And mm -hmm. we'll be waiting to see when those rains come back in. It looks like sometime next week, uh, it looks like those rains will come back in. We'll have to see how how quickly that happens. If it's towards the end of next week, it'd be a lot more stressful, obviously, than early next week. Yep. Uh, we're not right, quite sure, but and, and, and how heavy those might be when widespread and whatnot. But looks like they'll get some showers next week. Um, so they've, they've got a, a really, really long period here of about two weeks mm -hmm. where they go dry and then hot to go along with it. And it's, it's not a good combination. That's a critical time period for them. So we'll Definitely. see how much damage we can see out of that. Definitely. John Baranek with DTN. John, thanks for joining us on AOA. Back with more right after this. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. 
Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call foreclosure protection services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Well, let's take a look at what is moving in the market trade on Monday here on AOA. Jesse Allen with you as we take a look at the market action, grains and oil seeds, finding a little bit of early pressure on Monday with plenty of Outside market headlines uh, weighing on things. We see uh, a headline over the weekend, a Hong Kong court ordering the liquidation of Evergrande, a Chinese real estate developer with many billions of dollars of debt. That's got some concerns for the Chinese economy. Also uh, seeing attacks on a U.S. military base that killed three servicemen in the Middle East and injured dozens. And that opens up uh, a more significant chance of a broader escalation in the region. Now, also, uh, we see a lot of economic data set to be released this week. We have the Case-Shiller Home Price Index on Tuesday. We got job openings, consumer confidence coming up on Tuesday as well. Wednesday, we get Employment Cost Index and the results of the Fed meeting. Many traders expecting the Fed to hold rates steady. Thursday, U.S. Productivity and ISM Manufacturing. Friday, the very important U.S. Non-Farm Payrolls Report. And in addition, on the ag side, we also got a cattle inventory report out on Wednesday, among other reports. So a lot of news coming to the market here this week. Also, we see the managed money short position in grains that grew again last week, combined short across corn, beans, meal, oil, and all three wheats. Second largest in history, only exceeded by the short May of 2019 in the midst of the trade war with China. Another headline, speaking of China, former President Donald Trump has told advisors if he's reelected, he wants to impose a 60% tariff on all Chinese goods coming to the U.S. As we look at a few of the market numbers here early, we see the corn market is mainly two to four, almost five lower now. Soybeans are anywhere from nine to 12 lower and the wheat trade mainly eight to 13 lower with KC wheat leading to the downside. Cattle futures mixed with hogs moderately lower. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. We were talking with John Baranek from DTN there in that last segment about the weather. Things looking rather mild and, and fairly quiet here as we move into the month of February. And, you know, if we really think about things, spring planting it's right around the corner here in the U.S., not too far away. 
What's the fertilizer situation looking like right now? We're going to talk about that and get an update with Josh Linville, VP of Fertilizer at Stone X. Josh, thanks for joining us on AOA, my friend. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing all right. I'll tell you what, got out to take down some Christmas lights yesterday, had a sweatshirt on. I had to take it off after negative temps. 40s felt pretty darn good. You know, 40s uh, feeling pretty good. And uh, a lot of these temperatures, honestly, it it feels like shorts and t-shirt weather in many parts of the country, Josh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have to think that that's maybe beneficial for movement potentially of some fertilizer here with, uh, you know, a lack of moisture in front of us for at least mm. the next few weeks and mild temperatures. I mean, let's, let's kind of set this up broad picture here. How are things looking in terms of the fertilizer situation as we get closer and closer spring planting well yeah it's uh we've been talking about this for a little bit but spring is right around the corner i mean now we're not much more than 30 days removed from the start of uh fertilizer application and i'll tell you what when you look at the forecast this is something we started talking about a little bit last week you know you're starting to see some warmer temps yeah there's some rain chances out there but if the sun comes out and the wind starts blowing the soil is going to dry off fairly quickly i know a lot of our snow is gone already and after the major, major fall run that we had that emptied the system, there's a little bit of trepidation. Uh, we could have an early start to this spring, and I don't believe that the fertilizer market is prepared for that. Well, let's dissect that a little bit more. I, I know we have some of the issues overseas in the Red Sea. That is a concern still. Escalation attentions being watched over there very closely. Uh, but, you know, we think about maybe this market not being ready for an early start to application. How can some of those uh, global factors imp or impact things here with a potential of an early application window? Talk to me yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The, the fertilizer market typically goes in expecting the majority of the Midwest to start up sometime mid a little bit later and on March. And so when we start talking about, hey, there's a possibility we start running here early February, not that we think it's going to be widespread and just, uh, you know, hammering down, but it's certainly something we need to watch for. It, it starts to bring that logistical thing back into focus, which has been a major, major talking point since uh, the end of 23. And then you start to look overseas. We've got these attacks that have been going on in the Red Sea, and that's causing a lot of vessels to sit there and say, we're not going to transit the area. There's too much risk. There's too much danger. And they are opting to uh, activate basically the wartime clauses in their contracts, which means they're going to go around the south tip of Africa and back up. That means more dollars per ton to ship that fertilizer to North America. It also means more days of shipping, an additional 10 to 15 days if you're coming from the Middle East. So it's kind of a one-two punch that, that in combination with a possible early spring start, it's a, I don't want to sit there and say dangerous. We always seem to get everything done that we need to get done, but it's certainly a situation we need to watch very, very closely. Well, I've been noticing for the most part, it feels like fertilizer prices continue to slide lower ever so slightly each week. But if you think about some of those shipping challenges and maybe the cost of freight going up, talk to talk to me about that a little bit. What are we going to be seeing in terms of, of price? I mean, if prices continue to slide, but freight rates keep going up, you know, it kind of just feels like a wash in my opinion, Josh. It is. And unfortunately, what we've started to see is that the international market is starting to react a little bit more. And we're actually seeing that NOLA, that New Orleans, Louisiana market starting to react as well. Uh, urea is finally starting to show some strength out there. 
uh, phosphate market showing a little bit of strength as well. And you might be sitting there saying, well, well why those two? Why not UAN? Why not anhydrous? Why not potash? Well, half of our urea comes from the Middle Eastern region, which is dependent on the Red Sea. Uh, one of our biggest importers is Saudi Arabia. And guess where they usually transit through? It's the Red Sea. Yeah, and that's a, a good thought to keep in perspective here is how some of these global factors could impact things. I know, too, there's a, there's still a lot of talk surrounding the uh, Coke purchase of the Weaver Iowa nitrogen facility. Is that something that you anticipate being a, a, a market headline, a fertilizer market headline here throughout the year, Josh? What are you hearing? I think so. It sounds as though there's a lot of different organizations who have stepped up in opposition to this sale slash purchase um, with the main reason being it's another step to a, a big oligopoly. And when you look through it, uh, CF actually went through with the purchase of a, a nitrogen facility in Wagaman, Louisiana. Coke now looking like they're going to purchase the Weaver, Iowa plant. You're really down to three major producers across the U.S. and North America. Uh, they control it's something like 80% of urea, UAN, and hydrous production in the U.S. So there's a lot of organizations stepping up saying this is not right, this is not fair, uh, this is just fewer competitors, we keep losing them, it seems to be, every year. So yeah, I think that this is not a story that's going to go away. This isn't a slam dunk like it has been in the past. Uh, between the attention uh, folks like Grassley have been placing on the fertilizer market, obviously the situation as it's been here for the last three years, and now this I think this is something I'm not going to sit there and tell you that I don't think it will go through, but I do think there is a higher chance that this is going to be studied much, much more than uh, purchase past. Now, it's not something, though, that we think is going to have a direct impact on any prices or anything here for you know the spring season, though, is it? No, um, this is something that's probably more of a summer slash fall story. And I would even challenge that I, I truly don't believe whether it is in uh, OCI's hands or whether it's in Coke's hands, overall, this doesn't change the S&D. Now, yes, it removes a competitor for the marketplace. But when you look at it, North American nitrogen, it's largely determined by global events. And that's why we always talk about these things that happen halfway around the world is what sets the program. I, and I understand we got to kind of look at home to see how things are looking and why they're happening and things like that. But ultimately speaking, I understand where these organizations are coming from. I just don't know if it'll make a wild big difference. We're talking with Josh Linville, VP of Fertilizer at Stone X here on AOA. Josh, as we kind of shift back to thoughts of, uh, you know, spring application here, one thing I want to ask you, you know, we've been watching corded soybean prices, uh, kind of the, the spreads and, and really beans, starting to try and buy acres for spring 2024. Is that something you're seeing reflected here in this fertilizer market? Or is that something you're going to be watching here over the next couple of weeks? Is this acreage battle? We're watching it very, very closely. And I'm not sure if it's soybeans are trying to buy the acres or corn is trying to give up the acres. Um, I know we've been watching December 24 corn pricing very, very closely. Uh, that price had been 510 to 525 for a very long time. Uh, as of this morning, it's in that 470, 475. There's a tremendous amount of income that's been wiped off the farmer's uh, outlook here for 24. And I think, you know, where we sit today, we're almost February 1st. We've got time. Uh, farmers have got time. They can make that change to soybeans if they need. And if all of a sudden we start to see a widespread decision to change the soybeans, well, now all of a sudden we got to start talking about how bad is that for nitrogen demand? 
And that's how quickly this thing can flip. Uh, last year, we went in about the same type of number, 92 million acres of corn. And when it was all said and done, it's a little bit over 94. We could see the opposite this year. You kind of answered my question there, but it seems like farmers still have a little bit of that flexibility here and they they don't necessarily need to lock themselves into certain inputs, but uh, right now necessarily, but that clock is also kind of ticking, isn't it, Josh? It, it is. It's, it's one of those things where, again, we're almost February 1. And it seems like we've got so much winter ahead of us, but really when you think about it, we're 60 days removed from April 1. I mean, that's a blink of an eye from a logistical standpoint. I mean, there's a lot of preparation the industry needs to make, the farmer needs to make. There's a We're kind of getting down to crunch time. Uh, so, yeah, it feels like we got plenty of time, but really at the same breath, we don't. It, it feels like I'd have to think a lot of farmers probably waiting on certain things like crop insurance prices and, and more here to maybe start making some some sort of hard decisions, but also with that too – it feels like a lot of the traditional rotations for quarter beans in the heart of the corn belt probably going to stay the same and farmers are going to stick with those typical rotations here this year. That's that's a couple of things I'm kind of keeping an eye on here, Josh. And I'm 100% with you there. Uh, a lot of times we have some folks that will jump up and say, well, what do you think about the corn belt economics for the farmer? And we say, we don't even track it. It's not even a discussion point. They're like, why would you do that? That's insane. It's the best corn ground in the world. This and that. I was like, absolutely agree. You're not wrong. Why do you think they call it the corn belt? It's because they raise corn. The focus needs to be on those outlying areas. It's the Northern Plains, the Southern Plains, Texas, the Deltas. Those are the S&Ds. Those are the profitabilities we need to really look at because they're the one that drives that final number. To your point, the corn belt is going to stay on their rotations. I mean, you know, it's probably going to be like a 45% corn, 45% beans, and uh, that last 10%, they can sway one way or another depending on market factors. It's those outer areas we really need to track, I believe. Well, Josh, let's kind of summarize this here. we got about a minute uh, before we run out of time in this segment. What do you want farmers to keep in mind here and really think about the most over the next, we'll say, 30 days right now? 30 days, it needs to continue to be a conversation with your retailer, with your supplier. Um, I cannot stress enough how good the fall run was and how greatly that reduced inventory levels across the system. And when you look at it from a logistical standpoint, that period between December 15th and March 15th is not very long to get the system refilled. So as we are making these decisions, if we sit there and say, hey, we are going corn, we need to have that conversation with the retailer and say, hey, this is my plan. Do you have what you need? There are going to be some areas that are still going to struggle to play catch up. And again, I'm I'm not going to cry wolf. I'm not going to sit there and say it won't be there. It's just a storyline. I think we need to have a little bit closer conversation than we have in the past just to make sure the supply chain can work like it's supposed to. Well, Josh, great thoughts. And we'll look forward to catching up with you again real soon and getting an update on where things stand. With that, Josh Linville, VP of Fertilizer at StoneX. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines from around the world and here in the U.S. for agriculture. We'll do that on the way next here on AOA. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries 
and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient centered care. Working in state of the art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Heading to NCBA's Cattle Convention on Friday, February 2nd. Stop by USMEF booth 1807 with me, Jesse Allen. We'll be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association and the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stop by from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern to learn how these organizations work together to competitively position American product as the sustainable, high-quality, premier product of choice. And don't forget to join NCGA on Thursday at 2.30 for their Learning Lounge. We'll see you in Orlando. You won't want to miss the next Great Plains auction on January 31st. The online auction features an impressive lineup including a 2016 Case IH Steiger 420 Quadro Track Tractor, a 2014 Brant BCX 1050 Grain Cart, Grip Track Combine Tracks, a Massey Ferguson 2605, and a 1951 Harry Ferguson. Find these items and many more when you visit GreatPlainsAuction.com for the online-only auction. That's on Wednesday, January 31st. Are you heading to NCBA in Orlando? On Thursday, February 1st, stop by Christian Hansen booth 1067 for some exciting live radio. Celebrity host Jesse Allen will be broadcasting AOA Live from Christian Hansen booth 1067 from 10 to 11 a.m. Also on Friday at 1130 in the Learning Lounge, Jesse Allen will be hosting Christian Hansen's discussion on how daily feeding of probiotics can improve the digestibility and utilization of the forages cattle are consuming. 
paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free, and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, right now, demand is the biggest problem that the corn market is facing. That according to one market advisor. Thanks for sticking with us here. Welcome back to AOA. Let's take a look at news headlines. John Heinberg is a market advisor with Total Farm Marketing, and he says that, again, demand, the biggest problem the corn market facing, and the problem with that is that the largest buyer, China, is moving more of its business to South America. USDA has got them forecasted to bring in about 26, 27 million metric tons of corn over the marketing year. 47% of that is forecasted to come out of Brazil. So now they are basically replacing us very, very quickly as the corn supplier to that country and, and even on the global scale. The United States and Brazil both export about 27% of the global corn supply individually. So U.S. at 27, Brazil at 27. And the biggest factor in this is now that Brazil has been a provider of corn into China, and that's limited our exports, and that's one of the biggest reasons for the market prices and the concerns that we're seeing now is that China's looking for a different route to go, and Brazil had those bushels at a cheaper price, and they continue to be a strong buyer of those commodities from that country. Well, the next few months are critical for U.S. corn exports, according to Heinberg. January, February, March is our window to be the leader in the export market. The Brazilian market has kind of lost some of its supply. Argentina has been dealing with two years of drought, but they have a record corn crop pot forecasted for this year coming at us. You know, so these next few months are vital and we need to see those sales numbers really pick up as well as the shipment numbers for corn. And then we got to see what happens with that South American production. You know, so it's going to be a very interesting point over the next few, you know, few weeks here to see if we can get those numbers that we need that can help support price, you know, on top of our large supply that we're trying to work through. At least that's what's forecasted out there. Once again, that's John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing. Well, the fate of a new farm bill rests not just with ag lawmakers, but House and Senate appropriators and leaders feuding about spending and border issues, eating up precious floor time in an election year. Passing a long overdue farm bill is tough enough given partisan differences over funding farm versus feeding programs made worse by election year politics. But add in other fights over languishing spending bills, border security, foreign military aid and a major tax bill and farm bill odds look dimmer this year. West Virginia GOP Senator and Appropriator Shelley Moore Capito. The uh, farm bill, here's another major piece of legislation that's coming before us that impacts food supply, nutrition, our ag community, many, 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 many jobs uh, all across this country. And yet we're in another extension. 
The extension came after the 2018 farm bill expired four months ago, and writing a new one's been held up by appropriations gridlock, likely to continue at least into March and two new shutdown deadlines. In the last 13 months, we've only spent eight hours on appropriations. This is a major responsibility for the Senate and the House and the President to get this right every year. We are now six months behind. With only short-term stopgap bills keeping the government funded. Now, House Ag Chair Glenn G.T. Thompson has said he wants to start farm bill action in March, but has made getting available floor time a condition. But that will hinge on ending a spending standoff between the House GOP and Senate Democrats as one side tries to wait out the other. Six months ago, we will have passed out of committee every single bill. And yet, except for the three we passed in, I believe, late October, early November, no action. Crickets by the leadership here. And once again, that is comments with West Virginia Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito. Well, Britain has halted negotiations on a potential free trade deal with Canada because of dissatisfaction by both sides over a lack of access to each other's agricultural markets. Reuters says the talks first launched in March 2022. Canadian negotiators say they're disappointed that the UK put a pause on the negotiations, noting that Britain's decision to keep barriers up for Canada's agricultural market access is what's stalling the negotiations. Canada's farmers are complaining that they've been all but shut out of Britain's beef market because of regulations banning the use of artificial hormones. A UK spokesperson posted on X Twitter that they reserve the right to call a pause on negotiations with any country if we don't think progress is getting made. Now, before Britain made its exit from the European Union trading sphere at the end of 2020, Canada rolled over existing trade agreements to ensure that free trade could continue. While two senators introduced legislation intended to boost the agricultural industry's resilience against cyber attacks, the bipartisan measure from Arkansas Republican Tom Cotton and New York Democrat Kirsten Gillibrand is backed by a number of agricultural groups. If passed, the bill would shield America's supply chain from technological attacks. Cotton says, quote, America's adversaries are looking for any advantage they can use against us, including targeting critical industries like agriculture, end quote. Now, the bill would require the USDA to conduct a twice-yearly study on cybersecurity threats to the agriculture industry. Courthouse News Service says the review would include analyzing existing threats, the potential impacts of a cyber attack on the safety and availability of food products, and the government's ability to respond to an attack. USDA would also have to conduct an interagency cross-sector crisis simulation exercise that mocks up a food-related national emergency. These exercises would help identify gaps in the government's readiness to respond to such emergencies. Well, USDA's Economic Research Service says food at home prices increased by 5% in 2023, much lower than the growth rate in 2022 of 11%. However, that was still double the historical annual average growth rate from 2003 to 2022, which was 2.5%. All product categories grew more slowly in 2023 than they did compared to 2022. Food price growth slowed last year as economy-wide inflationary pressures, supply chain issues, and wholesale food prices eased from 2022. In 2023, prices for fats and oils grew the fastest at 9%. Sugars and sweets are 8.7% higher, and cereals and bakery products rose 8.4%. Pork prices dropped 1.2% in 2023. Prices for several categories grew more slowly than their historical averages, including beef and veal, at 3.6%. 
eggs at 1.4%, fresh vegetables at less than 1%, now fresh fruits and seafood grew 0.7% and 0.3% respectively. Well, with that, we are up against the clock and out of time here on today's AOA. Coming up on our next program, we got a busy one lined up for you. We're expected to talk with House Ag Committee Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson of Pennsylvania. Get an update uh, from him in terms of appropriations and the farm bill negotiations. Where do things stand? So looking forward to that conversation. We'll talk markets with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge. And we'll also talk with DTN's staff reporter Todd Neely. Get an update on some of the top stories in agriculture from Todd, including the uh, opening of that new sustainable aviation fuel plant and some of the comments about that here last week. Uh, refiners petitioning the EPA for changes to RINs. We'll talk about that story and more. All of that coming up on the next AOA. We're out of time. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to AOA. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare.